So without further ado, I'd like to introduce our speaker tonight, Kenji. Thank you. My name is Ken, and I'm an abstaining compulsive overeater. I've, I, I've always called myself an overachiever with a fork, and that's what I did best all my life. I ate enough to put over 300 pounds of weight on my body. I don't know the exact number because I never got on anything uh, besides a normal scale. It goes up to 299, and I know it went up to 299 and pressed hard, and I was on diets for many, many years in my life. I'm going to spend a brief time to uh, relate who I used to be, what happened to me, and most of the time on who I am today. I'm not the same person I was. That alone is a miracle. This is a program of miracles, if we choose to take part. Uh, I came in here after using Metrical in the 60s, which is the first protein powder that I knew about, taking amphetamines for over 22 years, being admitted to Encino Hospital in 1971 with a hepatic liver. When the doctor asked me if I was taking medicine, I said no. Uh, I really believed amphetamines were something to help me stop eating. It wasn't any kind of medicine. And when I came out, I went back to uh, pills for another seven years. My liver healed. It's a uh, self-generating organ, thank God. And, uh, but that experience didn't stop me. I went to Weight Watchers when I lived in the East. I went to Weight Watchers out here. I tried just about any diet you could read still today. If you go to a newsstand, there's always some publication with a diet. I would try it. And in a matter of two, three days, I would end it. I always wanted something new. I never got it. And so the first miracle that happened in terms of this program is I met a person that I used to binge with in New York in the 60s. I met him after living here for about uh, eight, nine years. Uh, excuse me, no, I've been living here, yeah, eight, nine years. It was 1978 in February in San Francisco. I ran into him after 10, 11 years of not seeing him at a business meeting, and he had a good-looking body, a smile on his face, and I said to him what I say to people like that, what's wrong? And, and he said, Ken, I found a wonderful way to live. It's called Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't want to hear, I didn't like the first word. I didn't understand the second word. I didn't want to know anything more about what he did. But he did plant the seed. Because he said, Ken, wherever you go, it's in the white pages. Just look it up. The real miracle that evening was I hadn't seen him for 10, 11 years. I have not seen him since that day. I don't even know where he is. He was meant to be in my life in February of 1978 in San Francisco. Very briefly. I went back home. Did I immediately look up and go to a meeting? Of course not. I needed more pain in my life. And until I reach a level of not wanting any more pain, I was going to continue to abuse myself with food. Food was my substance. Uh, I had flirted with drugs, but that wasn't my thing. I had flirted with alcohol. It wasn't my thing. I'm an eater. I'm a compulsive reader. I didn't practice it today. So in May of that year, a few months later, I was going out to buy clothing which is the most detestable thing that I could ever do. And so I did look in the white pages. I wanted to prove this wouldn't work. And I did find Overeaters Anonymous. I called them, and another miracle, instead of getting a human, uh, especially a woman, where I'd have to say, uh, I'm looking for Overeaters Anonymous, I'd probably hang up. I got a tape, and it, it pointed to a meeting that night in Van Nuys, and I went. And the reason I went is I wanted to find out how you do it. I'll do it. I'll show you it doesn't work, and I don't have to come back to this anymore. I'm still here. It works. I'm down over 100 pounds of weight. That's a miracle. I'm here today in order to maintain what I'm doing with my body, but also to maintain what I'm doing with my head. I'm here for the sanity. You see, I always realized that growing older was inevitable. In this program, you learn that growing up is optional. You don't have to. Uh, I was ready. 
I went to a meeting. I didn't understand what I was looking at. I saw a room full of me. That was a big meeting, 200 people or something at a, at a rec center. And I understood what people were talking about when they shared their pain and when they shared their recovery, except I didn't understand the recovery. I was looking for a scale, a nurse. I was looking for... They did have something called gray sheet in that, in that time, in, in which they do not have anymore. It's a food plan. And today you can adapt that with a sponsor. You work out what's a food plan for you. It, sh it should be something that is flexible and will change. My food plan has changed over the years. I don't use what's called gray sheet any longer, but I certainly abstain. I also... Every morning at 6.45 a.m., I do something that's very spiritual in my life. I commit my food to another person. Sometimes I commit it exactly. Sometimes I commit it gener uh, generically, uh, a salad and, and an entree, because we're going somewhere. I don't know where, where we're going, my wife and I. And sometimes I will specifically state, as I did when I went to uh, my son's birthday a week ago, I'm not going to have any birthday cake tonight. I will say what I will not have, or no bread today, just today. I haven't had bread for 22 years, 340 days. That's a miracle, because I used to lust for bread. <laughs> so I went back home and was immediately pissed off because I got in the scale and I didn't lose any weight. And, and so I was going to go back to the meeting and do it exactly the way the, uh, the meeting prescribes it to be done. If I could do it perfectly... And that's why I had a shambles of my life. I tried to do everything perfectly, and today I know that there is nothing in my life that is perfect, except for God's will. That is perfect. I asked my sponsor once, how do you know that God's will will be done? And he said, wait and see what happens. <laughs> it's a pretty simple answer. It's true. It's what I'm going to do with it that matters. So I went back to the meeting. You're supposed to get a sponsor. I didn't like that. Uh, they had a break at that meeting. I went up to a man who was about five foot ten and small in size. I like small people. I can manipulate them. And I asked him uh, to show me what this program was about. I didn't want to use the word sponsor. We talked about it for a while, and we worked out that I was going to call him in the morning when we worked out a time between 7.30, quarter to 8. And he said in plain English, this is the way he spoke to me. He said, Ken, if you're going to put it in your mouth, put it in my ear. Anything you put in your mouth tomorrow, you're going to put in my ear. I said, okay. I was ready to do exactly what he wanted and prove it doesn't work. At the end of 21 days, which is what you made a commitment for, one day at a time for 21 days, I dropped about 15, 16 pounds, so my head said, I don't need him anymore. I don't need the meetings anymore. Now I know what to do. I'll just go and do it. I'll write down what I'm going to eat. And within a week, I was eating bread again, and I was uh, eating between meals. You know what? This is a disease. Uh, I'm sure we've all heard a mind is a terrible thing to waste. It's even a worse thing to listen to because this is where my disease lives. You know, it's not on my body, it's in my mind. When my mind got better, the body started to recover. That amazed me. It still does. It still does. I did not have to cure the body. I had to recover mentally because I was an insane person based on my motives. I'll get into a few of those, but the most important thing is I went back to this man and asked him if uh, I can continue to commit food, and he said, if you really want to do it. I mean, he, he wanted someone who was going to really work at it, and I didn't want to lose him. Uh, he did ask me to buy the big book. I had bought it. Of course, it was sitting on the same bookshelf. I left it at home when the day I brought it home the first time. I never opened it. And he said, did you read it? And I said, it really puts me to sleep. I start reading on page one about these hundred people that, you know, incomprehensibly demoralized. They get tired and sleepy. I, you know, he said, then if you ever have insomnia, start on page one. 
He says, I'll, I'll tell you where to start. Start on page 482. And in my manipulative way, I said, what's on that page? He said, you read it and tell me. He knew how to talk to me. It's a short page. It deals with self-honesty. He knew who he was talking about. I was not an honest person. I could say something. I could do something else. I thought I was fooling you. I was fooling me. So I had committed my food. The weight did start to come off. And I had fooled around with uh, various types of abstinence from May to June to July until November. And I reached the bottom I never want to reach again. A 300-pound man who was with a business that closed. I had a home, two children. I was paying off two cars. I was out of work. And I had one thing going for me. I found this program before that happened, not after. I maybe wouldn't have looked for it. I wouldn't know what I'd be looking for. I continued to take care of myself, and I've been working ever since. I also have over 100 pounds of weight off my body. I had a 54-inch waist. I used to buy suits with two pair of pants because one would always rub out between my legs, so I'd have another pair to use so the jacket would still last another year. This is the way I lived. I went to special stores that I detested going to. Even today, I, I don't like to use the H-A-T-E word. I detested going to those stores because I thought those clothes were enormous, but they fitted me. They fitted me. And I don't have to do that today. So how do you know when you reach a level of pain you never want to reach again? Well, first of all, I was told you stop digging. <laughs> if you stop digging, you won't go any lower. You start to turn yourself around. On Thanksgiving weekend of 1978, I was completely out of work, and I binged for 48 consecutive hours. I did it because, not the work situation, I had people in my home for Thanksgiving. I didn't want to be there. They came in from the east. They had a wonderful weekend. They went back east. They said they had a great time. They even sent my wife and I a card. And you know what? I was physically ill from this. And I called this man again on the 27th of November, 1978, told him what I did. And as of midnight last night, I have 22 years, 340 days of abstinence. I reached the point I don't ever want to reach again in my life. But what did that do in the other areas of my life? I had to progress by going forward. And to be willing is not enough. I need to take the action. Chuck C. said it in his book, A New Pair of Glasses. I think he said, willingness without action is fantasy. If I don't take part in my own life, nothing will change. Nothing. My anger, my depression, my hoping to buy happiness by spending money, not understanding anything that I was doing looking for people that I didn't like instead of cherishing the people that were close to me that I did like, not wanting to go to parties because I would think of the one person that would be there that I couldn't stand and not the half a dozen or a dozen that were, that were okay or even strangers. Who would want to see me? I didn't want to see myself. My life started changing. I went to meetings four or five a week. I moved to Phoenix, Arizona. I came back and another miracle happened. The man that had sponsored me for two years before I moved has left the face of this earth. I don't know where he is. People said he left the valley. They don't know where he is. I needed to get another sponsor. This is a man who threatened to leave me once who said, Ken, if you don't get up and share at a meeting, maybe you need someone else because I don't know what to do. I wouldn't pitch. I wouldn't do things. And he always prodded me, gently but strongly. He gave me what we call tough love. He wouldn't let go. He would push me to where I would want to get rid of him, and I didn't want to get rid of him. 
And I realize today that there's absolutely nothing in my life that is perfect. But it's a heck of a lot better than it used to be with all the insanity I had back in those days. I read the big book on a daily basis and pass pages to other people. Um, the pages that were given to me, probably the most infamous page after 482 is 449, dealing with acceptance. I read 449, and I kept reading it, and the most important part of that uh, segment on acceptance is the last page, 452. It deals with how to do a relationship. And you can go into bookstores and see miles of books on relationships, but you know what? They probably all work if you do it, based on whatever they're saying. I found it in one page, 452. It tells me how to do a relationship with another person. And I found that for a long time, I resented the fact that my wife want, loved me wanted to marry me, we did marry, and was happy with me, but I couldn't stand myself. I couldn't understand that. And this taught me how to do a relationship with another person. The book is written, by the way, in code. You have to uh, learn the code by, by reading the book. The page on relationships, 452, should be followed by 425 and five, uh, four, uh, excuse me, 325 and 326, because it continues about how to choose the right relationships in our life. I have to stay out of slippery places. And that includes not only food, it includes people. I have to stay away from the people that are not good for me. I have to hang out with the winners. I want to hang out with the people who are doing life and are happy, that wear a smile, that tell me, you know what, today's okay. People ask me all the time, how are you doing today when I go to work? I say, so far, okay. So far. You know what, I will not project into the future because it's not here and the past isn't concrete. I can't change it. I only can take care of today. I never understood how to work. I thought I had to get as much as I could for me and screw everyone else. And when I got home, I wondered about why I couldn't have a relationship with the people that I, I loved. Because, you know what, I've been married now 41 years to the same person. She stuck it out. And we have a very good life. It's gotten better. And that concerns all areas of our life. I've learned in this program that I have to look at the overall experience, the entire experience, not the one experience of maybe spending money and buying happiness. It doesn't work that way. Or, or understanding sex. I, I really never had much joy with sex early on in my years because I tried to do it perfectly. How can you do it perfectly when you don't know how to do it? You know. And today, my enjoyment comes from the overall experience, being with the right person and sharing everything else that goes with it. It's a wonderful experience in my life. So what do I do? I wake up in the morning and I have a whole day and the first thing my head says, you're screwed already. <laughs> it, it still does that. It still does that. Not every day, once in a while. Or why get up? Why go to work today? Call in sick. Do something, anything. Go to the track, you know, which I don't go to. If I go once a year, I don't go. My health tell me that. And the first thing I reach for is for today. It's a wonderful little book. It gives me a message to concentrate on for the day. Today's message happened to deal with our faults. I have them. I have the same faults I had when I came in here. But I didn't practice them today. I'll share what my abstinence actually is. Physically, my abstinence is no bread, no red meat, no sugar. Three meals a day, nothing in between. That's it. The portions as close to whatever fits on a plate. If it falls off, it's not mine. I stay out of smorgasbords. You should never see me at one because I don't go to them because there's not enough. 
I don't understand the word enough. And if I'm left alone, when I used to open a refrigerator in the morning and take out just the orange juice, my head would still look at everything else and wonder if I could take a small amount of it and figure it won't be missed. This is the way my head works. Take some of it and maybe it won't be missed. That didn't give me any happiness either. I came to work what we call the steps in this program because if I found, and I'm only sharing my experience, if you don't go forward, you go backward. That's my experience. It's like a seesaw. You have to go up or down. It's very hard to stay balanced right in the middle, doing nothing. So what did I do with the steps? I admitted my life uh, is unmanageable. I am a compulsive reader. It's, a very, it's the only mandatory step, by the way. The others are not mandatory. You do them when you're ready. But if you're not ready to admit you're a compulsive overeater, you may not have the rest of the recovery. It really does work. Now, how, how does my head deal with the steps? Uh, am I cured? No. No, I'm not. I still like some days, I look in the mirror, I take a shower, I get out, and I look at my body and say, gosh, my head says, you know, if I could lose about 10, 15 pounds, I'd be right. And if I did lose 10 or 15 pounds, you know what I'd want to do? Take off about 5 or 10 more pounds. And if I took off the 5 or 10 more pounds, you know what I'd want to do? Aim for maybe a 32-inch waist. I'll never have a 32-inch waist. I wasn't built that way. I mean, I'm, I'm a 38 to 40, so I buy 40s and I'm comfortable. But I wasn't built for a 32, so I have to stay out of numbers. I don't get on a scale. Let's go to a doctor's office. And then I do it for the doctor, not for me. Because I refuse to let three digits between my two big toes tell me I'm going to have a great day or a lousy day. Because I'm up a quarter of a pound or down a quarter of a pound. And that's what numbers do to me. I stay out of numbers. I can't count calories. There's not enough of them. They drive me nuts. I have to stay comfortable. And staying comfortable is getting into the big book, passing it to others. Uh, a lot of my service deals with sponsoring people. I sponsor seven people on a daily basis. Some are men, some are women, some are older than I am, some are younger than I am. But we have one thing in common. We want to stay well and get better. It's very important. Stay well and continue to get better because it's very easy to slide. It's a human condition. It's easy to slide at any time. I am not alone. I have to remember, I am not alone. If I want to be alone with myself, I'm in a lousy neighborhood, and I don't go into my neighborhood of myself alone. I take someone with me. I have a lot of friends besides the seven that I call on a daily basis. In this past week, I sent a couple emails out on Halloween because they catered a buffet right next to my office in the coffee room. I don't know why they did it. They just ate incessantly all afternoon, and I said, no, thank you, for me to turn off the situation. No, thank you. That's it. It ends it. There's no conversation. Not some. Even when they say, won't you taste it? Not right now. And if they really want to get pushy, I'll look them in the eye and say, it's not good for me. And again, if I had an ulcer or diabetes, something like that, they'd understand it. But if I say I'm a compulsive overeater, they'd smile and give it to me. They don't understand. There's a lot of terminally normal people out there. It's not their fault. I have to take care of myself with you. I cannot take care of myself with them. So I started working the steps. I do believe a power greater than myself will restore me to sanity because I can't do it myself. Doctors only try to do it while I paid them. When I stopped paying them, they stopped trying, and so did I. I never understood about the third step. You know, turn my will and my life over to care of a power greater than myself. What does it even mean? So did I ask someone? Of course not. I was going to figure it out by myself. You know, I closed down and started saying, now what does that really mean? And meanwhile, the rest of life is going by. 
So I did ask someone because I wanted to work for steps for the same reason I came into this program. I wanted to see if it wouldn't work. If it doesn't work, I could leave. I don't have to come back to something that doesn't work. I said, I don't know how I'm going to find God by reading the third step. And my sponsor said, Ken, don't concentrate on finding God. Concentrate on looking for God. You can't find anything unless you look for it. Very simple words. They're very true. I have to look for God on a daily basis. So I look for God when I pick up for today and read that message. I have a meeting with four people between 6.30 and 7.20 every morning. I'm in some state of undress or shaving or dressing, and I get these four people, and we talk to each other about the day and our abstinence. And I have three others, during one during the day and two at night. And you know what? Life goes on. I have to take part in my own life. So that's how God works in my life. If I take part. If I don't want to take part, it won't work. I have to have something I didn't understand. It's called faith. I have faith in this program. I didn't understand what faith was. I was a scholar. I, could, I had to figure something out. Until, again, my sponsor told me, he said, Ken, faith is not that difficult to figure out. It's believing something but not knowing it. And I said, what? He said, you believe something but you don't know it. He gave me an example of my car. He said, when you leave the meeting tonight, you'll get in your car, and you have faith your car will take you home, but you don't know it. And he was right. There are simple things in life I have faith in, but they're like automatic. I don't think about it. The day the battery dies, I wouldn't expect it anyway. So I have faith in my car. I have faith in my family. I have faith in the work that I go to. I have faith in all these things, and you know what? They're all going to change. My family has changed. My work has changed. Everything, my cars have changed, but I do have faith in what I'm doing, because I have to do the best I can. I used to worry about what you were thinking of me. I used to try to want to make myself be what you wanted me to be, and today I don't really care what other people think of me as long as I'm doing the best I can. Because if I want to be like what ten people want me to be, I'm not myself. And I have to be myself with God's help. I said there are faults in my life. Um, I had to face the writing of an uh, inventory. I put it off because I didn't know how to write. I was told to write sentences, write words. I wrote it down. I, I went through all 12 steps originally, and I still go through them. I, I, I revisit steps on a daily basis, the ones I may need, in a two-year period. I say that's fast. It could be fast or slow for you, but for me, I thought it was fast. I had an inventory. The only reason I gave it away is I was afraid if I lost it. I had several pages written out. If I lost it, I could be divorced. I could be blackmailed. And the worst of all, I have to rewrite it. <laughs> so I gave it to a man. You know what? My life changed at that point. We talk about miracles in this program. I'll share an actual miracle that happened to me. I think it's been on tape before, so maybe you heard it. But it is a true miracle. I joined a company in 19... Uh, 81. I was only in the program two, three years, and I was on a sales trip to Fresno, California. I had a lousy day. Everyone said no. I really had a bad day. I went back to the hotel, and as I was walking past the bar, and I'm not a drinker, I was thinking of maybe going to the bar. The reason I like a bar is I would eat out of the dishes at the bar. I could nurse a drink for an hour, but I'd eat out of dishes. They'd refill it. I'd eat some more and figure out where I'm going for dinner after that. Instead, I went up to my room. I actually looked in the Fresno White Pages. I found OA. I called up. I got a tape recording. There's a meeting in Clovis, California. First thing I would do is go back downstairs, figure out what to do for dinner, and try to hang on with white knuckles for the rest of the night. 
not thinking about calling anyone back here. So what I did is I went downstairs, I went to the desk, and I said, where's Clovis, California? He said, it's about 10 miles northeast of Fresno, and it was dark already. It was around October. It was dark. I drove in the dark to a place called Clovis into a church parking lot, and I parked there. It was the only one about a half hour before the meeting, and I sat there. That was the best place for me to be. This is part of a miracle in my life. I'd never do something like this before. About 7.20, a man came around the corner of a building, and he opened up a, a, a meeting room, started setting up chairs. He had the lights on. I got out of my car, locked it up, went in. I walked right over to him. I gave him a hug. I said, is this OA? He says, OA. I gave him a hug. I said, my name is Ken. I'm from L.A. I had a lousy day. I dumped on him, and I felt better. I got it out. I got it out. The real miracle of that evening was, I didn't know it at the time, but this man did not understand English. He was, he was a Hispanic maintenance man whose job was to set up a meeting room and put out chairs. So when I was finished, he split. He left. He didn't want any more of me. And everyone else started coming in for the meeting. And I said, who was the man who was there? That's Harvey, the maintenance man. I just told him a lot of stuff I wouldn't tell to my wife about how, how I dealt with the day. And then I said, thank God, maybe he didn't understand it. But I felt better because I got it out. I can't carry around my own thoughts because they'll do me in. So I've learned over the years to talk to others, to read, and to write. It sounds very simple because we do that in grammar school, but I don't know how to do any of that in my life. And I do that with others, just like I emailed someone on Wednesday while everyone's enjoying a buffet at 3 in the afternoon in a workplace saying, I'm sitting here with a cup of tea, I'm not leaving my office, and I've said no thank you a half a dozen times, and thank you for being in my life. And the person was on a piece of tape because they weren't home, they were at work. They understood. They thanked me later. They called me. I emailed two people. I called two people. That's what I needed to do that day. The very next day on Thursday, they had a baby shower for a woman in the office the whole thing all over again, three in the afternoon. So I tell people, I only eat meals. That's not my meal. I had lunch, and I, I'm, not, I'm not having dinner yet. They said, oh, you don't know what you're missing. And I looked them right in the eye and said, yes, I do. I'm missing insanity is what I'm missing. I don't have to explain that to a normal person. But I know that you can understand the insanity of starting because it's endless. It never stops. It just never stops. I didn't abstain from red meat all my life. It happened about 10 years ago. I just lost my taste for it. We talk about, we hear things that have been lifted. The bread thing has been lifted. I used to have waiters or waitresses take it off the table, not thinking my wife may want it. Just don't leave it here, please. No, not thinking of anyone but me. Now it could stay on the table. It's not mine. It's hers or it's no one's. I don't need bread. That's been lifted. The meat thing got lifted. I used to go home for one reason, to have a meat dinner. I ate it five or six nights a week. I stopped eating it. I lost my taste. Terrible thing happened. I dropped about 15 pounds in a month. I went to the doctor. I had a physical. I told him all about my life, what was going on. He checked me out. It cost me $200. And he says, Ken, at your age and at your weight and age and uh, height and giving up meat, you're probably going to lose 10 to 15 pounds. I said, oh. It's amazing. It cost me $200 to learn that. <laughs> and I have lost my taste for it. I don't eat meat. 
I eat poultry, I eat fish, I don't eat red meat. It's amazing. I don't overspend. That's amazing. What does that have to do with food? I don't know. But if I want to indulge in overspending, I have the same price to pay. Pain. I cannot afford more pain in my life. I reached a threshold I don't want to reach again. So I call someone else up and I say, you know what? I have a stereo that works and, I, and I'm looking at this new thing because it's blinking at me and I don't need it. A lot of things blink at me. And I have to remember, I have a want list and a need list and a gratitude list and they're all different. I'm not going to get everything I want. I thank God for the things I need, and I'm so grateful I have them. And I have to visit my gratitude list, because if I stay in an attitude of gratitude and grateful for what I do have in my life, the things I don't have in my life become less important. And this three-meal-a-day thing, nobody has to understand it. They really don't have to understand it. I understand. It works for me. This is a program, by the way, you don't have to like. You just have to do it. You know, it's like taking shots. When you go to a, uh, a doctor for allergy shots, who wants to get stuck with a needle? But if you don't sneeze all summer, maybe it's worth it. We don't get shot here. We listen to each other. We find out what works. We discard what doesn't work, and we move on. We read in the big book about how to do relationships. If you want to know the purpose of the big book, it says in page uh, 45 and 46 in black and white, lack of power that was my dilemma. That was the reason I started reading that page. I thought I was going to learn about power. I thought God put me on this earth to rule the universe. The only problem was he didn't tell anyone else. <laughs> on that page, 45, it says, The purpose of the big book is to help us achieve a power greater than ourselves. Those are the exact words. So you have to read it. And reading it once doesn't mean a thing. I still reread it and reread it. There are times... And I take a, a small miniature version of the big book when I travel. There are times when I may feel physically alone, and I visit a page that helps bring me back to the present instantly. It's page 12. Page 12 deals on how to achieve a higher power in your own life. You have to understand it your own way, because each one of us have a lot in common, but we're still different people. And it tells us how to do that by the time you get to the bottom of the page. So I still reread it, and a calmness comes over me. And a settling emotion comes over me, replacing whatever it was in a hotel room miles away because I happen to be there for a reason, and I'm physically alone. I'm really never alone because I have the mail. I write people. I carry about 30 names and addresses with me. They get cards from me when I leave, leave town. And I get a gift when I come back. Maybe weeks later, they thank me. And I don't even remember exactly what I wrote. Except I say, I'm having a pretty good day. I hope you are, too. I write a lot of people when my wife and I go away for the summer um, to a hotel or something. She likes, to do, she likes to sit by the pool and eat and go in the pool and come back and eat. And it could last an hour and a half. And this always drove me nuts. It doesn't drive me crazy anymore. She likes to do that. I like to have my lunch somewhere, then go and enjoy myself somewhere else. So I sit with her and keep her company and I write my friends and talk to her and write my friends. That's how I take care of myself. I have to stay comfortable. Steps four and five deal with the inventory. Six and seven deals with our faults. And I said I still have them. Anyone who read four today this morning will read about the faults. Basically, they come down to the seven deadly sins. That covers everything. 
And I still have the thoughts that I had when I came in here, but I don't exercise them. I sort of bite my tongue sometimes when someone says something that will pull my trigger. Because if I answer them the way my head first says to answer them, I'm going to have to pay a price. I'm going to have to make an amend and say I'm sorry. Or else I have to carry around that pain. The first thought that comes out of this head is still a sick thought. That's the way it is. So I have to wait a minute and say, what else is up there? You know, how should I tackle this so I can live with it? And that means sometimes a close friend says something, it'll drive me over the edge, drive me up to the edge. I haven't gone over yet. And I have to remember, it's not their fault. They're not doing to hurt me. They can't help it. I have a great relationship with my wife, but there's still things that she'll do because I'm living with another person. It's not easy to live with another person continuously over year and year and year and see that there's still certain things that she will do that could drive me nuts. But you know what? She's not doing it to drive me nuts. It's because that's the way she operates in certain areas of her life. I love her anyway. And that's what I say to people when I'm getting into something with them and they think, gosh, we're getting into an area of friction. And I can smile at them and say, you know what? I love you anyway. I do. I don't have to agree with everything that everyone says, but I could love them anyway. I had to make amends to the people, and that's one of the reasons I don't want to screw up, because I don't like making amends. I made amends to a lot of people. I made amends to myself. I did things to myself I wouldn't let other people do to me. That's how much pain I gave myself. Wondering about how to do life right. How to do it perfectly. I gave up to perfection. I can't do it perfectly. What a relief. You know, I can't do it perfectly. I have to remember that God has a reason for whatever's going on. I don't have to understand it today. I have to do the best I can to take care of myself. Because if I don't take care of myself, I will visit pain again. I can't stand it. I can't stand the pain. So I take care of my food. I commit it to another person. During the weekend, it's another person on the weekends, and it's about 8 o'clock in the morning on Saturdays and Sundays, or what I will not eat. I go to barbecues in the summer, and I'll uh, have an abstinent lunch or a dinner, and if it's 3 in the afternoon, you know what? I don't eat at 3 in the afternoon. I can make it my dinner, but I'm not going to fool myself. I'll be ravenous at 8 o'clock tonight, so I don't eat at 3 in the afternoon. Roseanne, who is a person who started this program many, many years ago, in 1960, said in plain English, Three times a day, we have to put down the fork and not lift it up till the next meal. And I go one further and say, I have to put down my hand. This is the hand that tried to kill me with food. I have to keep it away from my face. If I keep my hands away from my face, I'm, I'm in good shape. That's all I have to do, keep my hands away from my face. <laughs> a miracle happened also in 1995. I'm floating somewhere around 200, 205 pounds, something like that. I don't know what it was. I feel good. I was getting dressed to go to a party. I fell over, had a heart attack on a Saturday night about 6 o'clock. My wife called her son, went to the hospital, and they started taking care of me. The doctor said, all you need now is rest. We'll evaluate your condition. There are many things we can do. Uh, we'll go into it later. I'm glad he said later. I don't want to hear about any of it. I had to relate exactly who I was to him, who I used to be over 300 pounds. And he related to me the angiograms and angioplasties and surgeries and stents and all these things that they do to you. 
And after a two-week period, he says, Ken, you know what? You had a marvelous recovery, and you probably couldn't have had it if you were the person you were you told me about. Why don't you just go home? So I went home, and I've been fine ever since. And I have to thank God, because the doctor didn't cure me. He was the messenger. God cured me of that instance, brought me through it. He's the one that let me know I was okay. Thank God for that. So I didn't need any of these angioplasty stents or surgery or things like that. I still got to be checked out once a year, and I run the treadmill and all this. And he says, you're okay. You're doing very well. But you can take off a few pounds. I say, thank you. I'll, I'll work on it. I'm not going to get into argument. I, try, I avoid argument at any cost. I've taken off a lot. If I'm supposed to take off more, it'll come. If it doesn't, all I have to do is do my part. This is the best I could do today. That's all I can do. So I read the big book. I read the 12 and 12. There's a wonderful prayer on 12 and 12. It's uh, page 99, the St. Francis of Assisi prayer. I visit that often. And there's a page that brings complete and total peace. It's 473. It's written by a woman. And I have part of it memorized. It, it says, uh, I realize all I have in life is today. The richest have no more. The poor have no less. What I choose to do with it is my own business. Then it goes on. That we must rely on God's help in order to maintain our sanity. I believe that. Because my wife never fixed me. My jobs never fixed me. Cars never fixed me. My parents couldn't fix me. School didn't fix me. I can't buy anything to fix me. And yet the simple miracle of driving down Ventura Boulevard and knowing that I'm not driving into fast food places, that's a miracle. The real miracle is not not driving into them. The real miracle is they don't call me the way they used to. They used to call me with their blinking lights knowing I could eat anonymously in my car and well, it, it never will have happened. And I don't do that anymore. I'm finished hurting Ken today. And at midnight tonight, I'll have 22 years and 341 days. And that's all I try to live in is the day. So thank you very much for being here. Because this is how we share with each other and get better and maintain a recovery. I collect uh, proverbs. I've collected them over the years in program. I'm going to leave you with one tonight. This one was written by a woman in the 50s. She was in her 80s. It was about a year before her death. She was a well-known writer, a French writer. Her name is Colette. And she said, I had a wonderful life. I wish I knew it sooner. Thank you very much. I understand if there are any questions, I can only share my own experience. Yes. Talk about the not good enough messages that I have. When someone else does something at work and is getting praise for it and joy for it, and I feel that I'll never achieve what they've done. And I have to stop right there. And remember, I'm not supposed to. I'm supposed to achieve what I can achieve. Going to a wedding for a very close person and knowing I'm not going to take part in and look at most of the foods that are there. I have to concentrate on what I am going to do. I'm going to sit down and have my salad and my dinner. And I can have a cappuccino. I can have a tea, a beverage, but I'm not going to have the frills. I have to turn my head around. If I want to sit in the swamp, I'll drown. So all this not good enough business is, to me, a sign of perfectionism. 
If I had it, I would be good enough. No, I just want more. If I got more, if I got praise for something, I'd probably say I don't deserve it. So I cannot play the game. When someone at work gets praise for doing something, I take part and applaud like I do at a meeting. When I go to a wedding and someone's and they're all serving stuff that I don't eat, I remember I'm eating something to take care of myself. And if I didn't take care of myself, I may not have lived to make the wedding. I have to always remember back to my pain. Yes. I am comfortable with my body. When I said my head still veers off, I could look in the mirror and say, maybe if you lost 10 or 15 pounds, that would really be perfect. That's my head talking. I have to remember, I have the only body I'm ever going to have. The perfect bodies are only seen in print, and those are airbrushed. And anybody that I'm in contact with is going to have a body that they don't really feel is 100%. So why should mine be 100%? I'm as good as I am today. This is exactly the way I was meant to be, as long as I take care of myself. When I start making lousy choices, I'm going to have a price to pay. So I am happy with myself. And I look at myself in the mirror, usually when I'm shaving, and I smile, and I remember, there's the goofball that's telling me I'm not good enough again. <laughs> I think we have time for one more, right? The pain is in my head. I'll never forget it. I don't want to forget it. I have another binge in me. I believe that. I, I may not have another recovery in me. And that's something that scares the devil out of me. So, the pain is who I used to be. And when I remember walking around with clothing that was bursting, trying to find work, and coming home to a family that said they loved me when I didn't love myself, I don't want that pain anymore. But I'll never forget it. I can't tell you how I never forget it. It just stays up there. That's my head. But I don't have to listen to it. I don't have to act off it. I have to stay in the present and act off today. This is the only day that counts. This is the only real day in my life. So, But I don't want to forget that pain. I really don't. If I forget it, I may be like the moth in the flame and try to revisit it and see what I could do. I'll get burned again. Thank you very much.